We're going to go to Ephesians 4. If you want to go ahead and, and flip over to Ephesians 4. I was, uh, I was asking Richard, I was like, do you want me to kind of stick around what you're doing? Or, you know, um, and he was like, actually, he said, you know, what if you uh, talked about the, what you do in the youth ministry and, and why you do it? Uh, he said, you know, he was just saying, like, um, it might be good for, for others to, to hear what we're doing and that, that kind of part of the church. Um, because if you don't have children that are actively involved in the youth ministry, you might just, you know, be like, well, what's going on over there? And so, um, which is, I thought, a great idea. We just taught at the very beginning of this year. Every year I try to open up the school year uh, just reminding the children and reminding me and reminding our leaders, like, what the purpose of our ministry is in the youth or in the college. And um, this year, we looking at, we were in Ephesians last year, so we um, took Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and basically um, expounded upon that and said, here's what the Lord says the church does, and this is what we want to fashion our youth ministry after. So I thought we could do that this morning. I mean, it'll be whether or not you have children in the youth ministry, as we look at Ephesians 4 and you see what God desires uh, or, or how he basically takes care of his church and what he has done to build up his church and what he is doing to build up his church. Uh, this is what we try to replicate uh, in our youth ministry and just kind of give you a little picture into what we do uh, as we study the Word of God together. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to understand His Word uh, and give us uh, wisdom, and, and we'll, we'll begin. So we, you know, in this little 45-minute class right here, are going to plop right down the middle of Ephesians, and that's always a dangerous thing, you know, just to jump into a verse and then jump right back out. Because you always, I mean, you know, I remember my pastor in California said, context is king, and you want everything in context. Um, and so we're just going to jump into Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, but just real fast context of what's going on. you got Ephesians 1 through 3, where Paul's talking to the church in Ephesus, and just basically, we call it 1 through 3 is the doctrine, one, or 4 through 6 is the, the doing of it, or the, the, the action. Um, but uh, Ephesians 1 through 3, he basically just talks about what Christ has done, who Christ is, what man is, and what Christ has done for man, that we're dead in our sins, but that, that we've been made alive in Jesus Christ. Um, it gives all power, majesty, and glory to Jesus Christ, that he's a ruler above all rulers. And, uh, and then he begins to talk in Ephesians 2 and 3 about the church, what the church is, how God began the church and what God is doing through the church. Uh, in Ephesians 4, right before we get this, we, let's read Ephesians 4, uh, 1 through 10. It kind of gives you the context. He's, he just came out of talking all about the, the, just the glory of God, the majesty of Christ, what Christ has done for us in his crucifixion, what the church is. And he says, therefore, in light of all of these things that are just so amazing, all given to us by the grace of God, he says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul's in prison in Rome, writing this letter to the Ephesians. He says, I implore you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. That's like the command leading up or, or coming out of all of that. As we see the grace of God, that should be the call of all Christians. Now go and do the same. Walk in a manner worthy of, of what you are. And then, he, and, he set, and then he defines what that looks like. In humility, in gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Again, because this is what Christ is for us and has done for us. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So that's, that's what it looks like to walk worthy. And then he begins to say, speaking of this church that he just described and how God builds the church, he says there's one body, one spirit, that we were called into one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is um, over all and through all and in all. 
passage is a description of what the church is, that we are one, united by Christ, all those things that we learned up to that point, and we, we are one body, the body of Christ, the church of God. And then he says, but, uh, to, on the contrary, to each of us is, uh, gr- uh, I'm sorry, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So within that unity, there is a, a purposeful, precise measuring of giftedness for each individual part of the body to function together in unity as the body of Christ to do God's work here on earth. And each of us is gifted, particularly by Christ, his perfect measurement, knowing everything we'd walk through and exactly what he wanted to accomplish through his body on earth. And that's just, again, just amazing. And then it goes on to talk about Christ. You know, he ascended on high, he led hosts, the captives gave gifts to men. And then it's just basically explaining that if, if he's ascended, he's also the one who descended. So this is God himself who came down to us and now has ascended to heaven. He is grace gifted precisely according to his measure, exactly what all man uh, or all people of his church need from beginning to end of their life to do the work of God on this earth, which is to... Uh, edify the saints for us to speak of the glories and excellencies of God to one another so that we're both built up, encouraged, exhorted, and edified and changed, sanctified, and then to evangelize the lost, to share the same things with those who don't know Christ so that they come to salvation. And, you know, you put together other passages in the Bible, all of his sheep hear his voice. If you speak of the excellencies of God to those who are unbelieving, all of those who are of God, who have been chosen predestined before the foundation of the world, will hear the voice of their shepherd and will come to him. Jesus even says, Father, all those you've given to me, I've taken, I've kept, and I give back to you. You know, so that's just, that's our function as the church on this earth, is to always live and speak of, of God, live in a, uh, a manner worthy of him and to speak the excellencies of God so that his children who are born again will, 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 will hear and see this and be driven to Christ-likeness. And those who don't know him will hear the truth and run to him in repentance and, and belief. And so that's basically just kind of a sum up of the close context. And then we get to our verses in verse 11. And it says, speaking of this church still, he says, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure and the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there uh, by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together, I'm sorry, being fitted and held together by whatever by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of the, each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So that's what we're going to look at today. And for you guys that have walked in since I, I said this at the beginning, uh, we're doing this. Um, Richard asked me, he said, um, why don't you teach on uh, what you do in the youth ministry and why you do it? And uh, we just taught on this at the very beginning of the year. I try to do this every year um, and uh, at least just explain the purpose of what we're doing and why. And so we've been walking through Ephesians in the youth group. We're done now. Um, and so this is something that we taught on back in, I guess, August. Um, and so we, we took these verses, and we're looking at what God has ordained the church to be and what the church should do, and the youth ministry as a part of the church. Uh, we, we, we define six principles that we want to do in the youth ministry. So this is just for those who have students in the youth ministry. It gives you a little insight into what our purpose is and what we're striving to do for those who don't have uh, students in the youth ministry, you can get a little insight into what's happening over in that part of the 
the church. So the six principles that define the purpose of the youth group and what we strive to do in, in all of our decisions and all of our leadership meetings and, and the things that we uh, do are, um, one, to preach the word of God, two, to prepare his children for duty, three, to produce maturity of the faith, four, to protect with discernment, five, to perfect his people, and then to preserve the unity in his body. So we're going to look at those uh, from these verses. And the first thing that we, we must do, we have to do, we found the ministry on is the preaching of the word of God. Uh, we believe in the centrality of the word of God, and it's, it's, it, it defines what we do in everything. Every decision we make, we try to make sure that it is coming out of uh, a fear and submission and, and love of, of his word and, and uh, of him. And so in verse 11, it says, He, speaking of God, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. And when you look at this, uh, rather than, we're not going to go through and define every single, you know, what an apostle is, and a prophet, an evangelist, pastor, and teacher, and go into depth there. I mean, we could spend the whole time just on that one verse. But the, the point of all of those offices is their, their focus was to open their lips and, and teach the Word of God. Whether it was the apostles back in the day, John, James, Peter, and, and those guys, or the prophets of the New Testament back in the day that were part of the founding of the church, or evangelists, pastors, and teachers, which we still have today, all of these uh, offices are focused uh, to present the infallible, inerrant, inspired Word of God so that, like we just said, all of His children will hear the voice of their shepherd, will hear the voice of Christ coming out of the lips of men, and, uh, and will be transformed into His image, His His. his Children that are born again from glory to glory into the image of Christ, sanctification. And those who are, are, are not born of God, who are still dead in their sins, but have been chosen, predestined before the foundation of the world, God draws them to himself through the voice of his church. And so we know Jesus is the head of the church. We learn this in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 1.8, uh, that, that he's measured out precisely the gifts that we need. We just read that from Ephesians 4.7. And so... God knows who and what the church needs in order to accomplish His will of saving and sanctifying His sheep. You know, in the end, this is all God's work. Salvation is impossible for man. You and I cannot save ourselves nor save anyone else, and so is sanctification. You cannot make yourself more sanctified, nor can you sanctify anyone else. But then we have these commands. I mean, you know, the biggest, the scariest one for me is the one for husbands, for wives, right? You must wash her with the water of the Word, you know, like Christ does the church, making sure that she's unblemished and, and basically saying, sanctify your wife. And I mean, right out the gate, any husband should go, uh, I can't do that. You know, that's the, you just can't. But it's the same impossibility as saving yourself. You know, when the disciples heard how hard it is for a man to enter into heaven, they said to Jesus, well, how can any man be saved? And Jesus didn't go, you know, just try real hard, pray, walk down that aisle, pray this prayer, and then start going to church, you'll be fine. He said, what's impossible with man, in other words, salvation is impossible with you, is possible with God. So God makes it possible, and he has made it possible through the blood of, of his son. He's made it possible through what he did to Christ on the cross, and then what he does post that through his Holy Spirit. He draws each of us. If any of you in here are born again, you know that it was by the, the grace of God that you were drawn to him, that he opened your eyes through his Spirit to believe, believe, to have faith, and to come to him. And we give all the glory to God because we in and of ourselves have nothing good to give and never would have come to him. In fact, Romans, I mean, we've just been talking about this in big church, right? Big church. <laughs> that, uh, that, that, that we in and of ourselves, we don't seek after him. We, we, there's, there's nothing good in us. None who understands. None who come after him. We're, we're happy in the lusts of our flesh and the desires of our mind. And we'll stay there uh, shackled by our sin under the, the, the power of the, the prince of the power of the air, the, 
the, the God of this world, um, the ruler of this world, Satan. So God is the one that does all the work, but the way that God has decided to do his work of saving and sanctifying his children is through, at this point, the church that he has ordained. And you got to think about it. I tell the kids this. like if, if the whole point was just for you to be saved, that a merciful, gracious, wonderful God in the moment of your conversion would kill you, right? Right there. And you'd be done. And you'd be with him in heaven. No more worry. No more suffering. No more pain. No more sin. No more everything that comes from this world. It would just be face-to-face with God. You would know him like he fully knows you. And you'd just be waiting for the, the, the coming of the kingdom and the finishing of everything he says in Revelation. But he leaves us here. And he leaves us here as the body of Christ to do the work of service that we're about to describe. And, 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 and that is founded on the truth that he has left with us, his word. And we're to preach his word, to teach his word. And that's what we do in the youth ministry. It is centered around that. It's not entertainment with the word of God slid in there. It's the word of God. And anything else is like secondary to that. Because it's the word of God that will cause these children to either come to salvation or to be sanctified. Does that make sense? Or even if, if, they, if we, we teach it and teach it and teach it and they reject it, um, we, we've, we've done what is right uh, uh, according to his word. So we as leaders, first and foremost in the youth group, we talk about this in our leadership means we must submit to the word. We have to submit to the word and walk worthy in order to be examples and be able to have discernment and wisdom to be able to teach these children, whether it be you know, from the pulpit or in the small groups. If I'm not walking worthy of Christ, I cannot stand up. Uh, first thing, just in hypocrisy, call others to walk worthy. But secondly, I wouldn't have the discernment and the wisdom and the judgment to be able to know what that looks like if I wasn't doing that in my own life. You know, and, and we learned that early on, that, that you have to walk worthy in order to be able to, uh, to, to know his truth. Not to say that, that all of us are sinless. I mean, sin is going to be mixed all in that. But as soon as you see it, you've got to repent and just keep walking worthy. And so that's one of the things we call, as leaders, we, we uh, strive after is to submit ourselves to uh, his will and his plans and his word. To read and practice his truth and to retrain our minds to become more like him so that we're able to then open our lips and not only represent him, but understand what it looks like to, to help these children to follow him. So all of these roles that we talk about in this verse bring the truth of God to others, uh, and they play out differently in their application, but they all harmonize in their aspiration, right, to, to, to teach God's truth. And so, like I said, in the, in the youth group, whether it's the lead teacher, small group leaders, even the band, I mean, even the songs we pick are purposefully picked to, to expound the truth of God's Word so that the kids, even when they're singing it, they're singing His truth. And they hear His truth come from me, and they hear His truth come from the small group leaders, and they, Lord willing, see that exemplified in all of those people. The second thing we do in the youth group is we try to prepare His children for duty. Prepare His children for duty. Uh, and again, this comes back down to the sufficiency of the Word of God. Look at verse 12. He said the, the apostles, prophets, all these guys, they, they open their mouth and they speak the word of God for, here's the perp, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. When he talks about equipping the saints, what does that mean, to equip? When you're equipped for something, what do, you, uh, what, do, what do we usually mean? Yeah, you're ready, you're prepared. If you're, if you're equipped to go out and like if I'm doing construction, I'm equipped for the job, what do I have to have? You've got to have tools. Now, if I got all the tools, yeah, you got to have the training too, right? You got the tools, you got to have the training, you got to be able to know. I could have nail guns and hammers and everything else, and I've never you know, touched a piece of wood before. I'm not going to know what to do. I don't have the blueprint. I don't know what to do, right? 
So you got to have the instruction. You got to have the training. You got to have the tools. This is what we talk about when we talk about equipping. You know, I was telling the kids, you think about football, you know, the equipment. You got to have the helmet. You got to have the gear. You got to know, you, but it's, you can't just run out there with the gear on. I mean, I can do that. You got to know the plays. You got to be prepared physically to run them, right? And, uh, and so when we talk about this biblically, it's the same idea. To equip makes this, it means to make someone completely adequate and sufficient for something. And that's what we're desiring to do. All of, all of his children that are in there, we want to, we want to equip them, make them sufficient and ready uh, to be prepared to do something. And we call this preparing and perfecting. The preparing part is the training, the developing, the establishing, the practicing with the purpose of, of perfecting it, right? Again, sports are a good analogy because that's what you're doing. You're, 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 training, you're developing the skills. You're doing it over and over and over and over until you perfect it, right? And I tell the kids, you keep practicing until you're perfect. The only person that doesn't have to practice is the guy that can walk up to the plate, and every time he swings, he never misses, and he only hits 500-foot home runs. You know what I mean? That guy maybe doesn't need to practice. Everybody else needs to get back into the gym and get back into the batting cage until they can do that. You know? And so that's what we're doing. Uh, in the youth group, we're preparing and we're perfecting. We're preparing them for, for what's coming in life. We're preparing them as, as they work on their minds to know more and more uh, who God is, what he does, uh, and, and how that plays out even in their, their current state as children under the authority and protection of their parents, but also perfecting. It's cultivating, it's refining until something is complete. And so that's, that's in our minds as we're doing this. What is it that equips us? What is it for the children of God that perfects us and, and, uh, and prepares us? The Word of God. Again, it comes right back down to the centrality of the Word of God to do this. You know, the perfecting isn't going to be yeah, in the spirit. That's right. And again, that's part of this is uh, this is written to the church, and it's for only for his children. You can't perfect. Some, I mean, you know, someone that's not even you know. To per, that's like saying we're trying to perfect somebody that's not actually on the team to be able to to play for the team, but they're not even there. You know, but th- that's you're 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 right on. And you must be equipped with his spirit to do this. But on our end, as the church, we perfect with the word of God. And so you know, uh, we just right now we're talking about how to study the word in there, and the purpose of that is again to to prepare them to not be dependent upon me or their leaders or their parents, but to be able to read the Word of God, to know how to study it, um, and, uh, and to, um, to practice it. Um, and then uh, it says that we're preparing, we equip the saints for the work of service. What's the work of service? We've already kind of said this, but what is the work of service of the church? Putting our gifts to use. Huh? All right, putting our gifts to use. For what purpose? Why does the Lord even bestow the gifts, like we said, that Christ precisely measures out? Why does he gift us? Why does he give us his spirit to be able to walk in a manner worthy, to speak his truth? What? To glorify God. That is, that is foundational. And, okay, we edify the saints, right? We, so, so we build up those who know him. And then what, what about all the people outside of the body? We, we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. That's what glorifies God. That's the purpose of the church, and that's why we're on this earth. And that's what the preparing, the equipping is for the children. To glorify God as they obey Him at home, as they submit to their parents, and they obey their parents, and they love and honor and respect their parents because that's what God has called them to do. To glorify God when they're at school or when they're at church or when they're around their friends. To, to live uh, a life that looks like Christ and then open their lips and speak of Christ to others and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're, that's what we're equipping them for, the work of service. I tell them is to save and to sanctify, if you want to think of it that way. On our end, the way we glorify the Lord and the way we live faithfully is to save and to sanctify others. And again, starting with the foundation that you can't, 
and then going and doing the work that you're called to do. And so we strive hard to do God's will on earth. And we know it's God's will for his children to be saved. We know in Matthew 8, 14, he says, it's not the will of your father who is in heaven for any of these little ones to perish. He's speaking specifically of children who are there in front of him, which that's another uh, sermon in and of itself, just the, the God's love for children and, and the way he protects and watches over and, and takes care of all children. But then he uses those children as an analogy for his born-again children, you and me, no matter what age we are, as children of God, it's not his Father's will for any of them to perish. And we know that he chooses and predestines before the foundation of the world all of those who are his, that Jesus Christ keeps his children. In John 10, he says, the sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And that's awesome, right? He knows who is his. And when he speaks, they hear him and they all follow. There's not one child of God that has heard the truth of God and then didn't understand it and ended up forsaking God and being eternally uh, separated from him. He's, Jesus says, I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them, them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father am one. So it is not the will of God for any children to perish. I think you could say both physical children that, that, that are on this planet and then, and then uh, the children of God who are born of God. They hear his voice. They follow him. John six thirty seven to 40. He says, this is the will of him who sent me, speaking of his father, that all he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father. Everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up. That's awesome. Just hearing those words come out of our Savior's mouth. I lose none. I will draw them to myself. Uh, all that he's given to me, I keep, and I lose nothing, and I will raise them up myself. And then it's not the will of the Father to lose any of his children. It's just awesome. I mean, you got the will of God, the will of God, the will of God. God will keep all of his children. It's our job as the church to open our lips, to sanctify his children who are on this earth, to do this work of service we're called to do, and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who are currently in their sin, knowing without a shadow of a doubt that all of his children would hear his voice. And we just need to be faithful to speak his words so they hear his voice. And that's awesome. That's what we're doing. That's the work of service. We're on this earth. And he says, for the building up of the body, the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ. The building up of the body, this is the, the, the service. Uh, we call this the constructing of the body of Christ. We just use the analogy of construction, right? And so as we faithfully exercise our gifts, we will build up his body. Now again, he is the one doing it. He is the builder. He is the author of all this. He builds up his children. He sanctifies his children, but he does it through the body of Christ. As we live a life that looks like him and speak the truth that has come from his lips, all this by the power of his spirit according to his will, we construct and we strengthen the church. And so the construction part is the building, the growing, the making. This is the saving we're pulling in the materials as we share the gospel and this person comes to Christ and this person comes to Christ and this person comes to Christ. We're constructing the body, right? Now again, God is the one doing it. Don't ever hear that this is man's work. And at the same time, God does it through the agency of man and we call that the church. So we construct the body. Jeremiah sixteen sixteen is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I love it. Because he says that he himself will come and he will hunt for his people and he will fish for his people. And, you know, and then Jesus shows up on earth with Peter and Andrew and all of them. He says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. In other words, God's doing it and here's how he decided to do it. He, he, he transforms people, which is an impossibility, and then he sends them out to hunt for and to fish for all of his children. And he never loses one. That's cool. 
That's what we are as the church. And then the strengthening part of it is the reinforcement, the enhancing. And that's the sanctifying part, right? You don't just bring in the material, you got it all on the job site, and, and, and you, know, you just kind of put it up and you got just the nails in there. You start reinforcing it, right? You put it on the little brackets and you, 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 you make things stable and you establish it. And you put up all the sheetrock and everything else until it's a, a solid body. And that's what we do in the church. As we speak of the greatness of God, the structure that's already in place by Him, He begins to strengthen and fortify, sanctify, and to make strong His body to do, again, this work of service. So, this drives what we do in the ministry with the youth. The goal of the ministry is to equip one another, to prepare one another, to perfect one another, so that we're all ready and able to do the work of service, to faithfully live as the church of God on this earth. That's what we strive to do in the youth ministry to save and to sanctify his children. First and foremost, we're the ones that are sitting in the room as we teach and as we preach, but then for them to go out and to do those things. As they, you know, I tell the kids, as you obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, and as you honor and respect your mother and your father in submission to God, you become one of the number, maybe the number one example of Christ in their life. Your obedience may lead to your parents' salvation. Or if your parents are saved, as they watch your submission and your obedience and your respect and your honor, that will be convicting of them. Because they also need to submit. And they also need to respect and to honor. And God has placed others in their author- uh, as authority over them, and then most of all to God, and then even to one another in the marriage relationship. And your obedience to your parents may be one of the number one ways that they see Jesus Christ. But, you know, they don't think like that. I didn't think like that as a kid. Um, but but uh, so we try to always train them that you're you're always uh, to be uh, living as the church of Christ if you believe that you are born again. And so when we think of the youth group, we think of it that way. Nothing there is meant merely for entertainment. We don't entertain so that we produce something fun and exciting so that the kids are drawn in by our man-made schemes and then try to slide the gospel in there in some sort of manipulative way of of, of trying to to expose people that don't even want to hear about God to God. We speak truth. And we call our children, the kids in the youth group, bring people to hear the truth of God. Tell them that there is gold here because we're speaking the words of God himself. You know, And that's the point. Uh, because I, the most youth ministries I've seen, I didn't grow up in a lot of youth ministry stuff. I went to a youth group for a little bit. But, um, but that was always kind of the, the, the center was fun. you know, And then you have fun while you also talk about God. And, um, and I'm not fighting any youth ministry. It's not like, well, we'll never do that. I mean, we have fun. We play on the field and we do things. But, but the, the centrality must be the word. And then everything else, you know, you can tack on sports later. Or you can tack on going doing an event every month or something like that. But even that's going to have purpose. It's going to still be founded on the fact that we're trying to exemplify and teach the word of God. Um, so... So when we get together at our leadership meetings, we talk about that. We're like, what is the purpose? And making sure that even our events and even the fun time is, is for the purpose of, of growing up the body, uh, which is the next verse. He says, uh, we, we do this equip the work of service to the building of the body of Christ until, so here's what you're shooting for, until we all attain uh, the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, that the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So the third thing we strive to do is to produce maturity in the faith. Maturity in the faith. Um, He says, until we all attain, this is all of us together, attaining means to reach or to accomplish, to achieve the purpose destination, right? So we're looking for the the destination. I always tell the kids this. The destination is Christ. And you never pull him down to where you can get to him because then you made your own religion, right? Your own self-righteousness, and you feel like you've kind of met the goal. You leave Christ where he is, and then we keep running together until we look just like that. 
That's the goal. That's the goal of all of us, to attain Christ-likeness. We set the goal, we determine the plan, and the measure uh, of that plan, and, and, uh, and that is Christ. The unity of the faith, um, we already talked about unity in the church, there's one God, one spirit, one purpose, so we're united. We're striving for a, un- a united understanding of Him and His Word, a united dependence upon Him and, and His Spirit and His Word, and a united commitment to Him. And then we talk about unity and the knowledge of the Son of God. We want to be united in our understanding of who Christ is. You know, if I, tell, if I tell 40 people, Christ is the standard, let's run there. But you don't know who he is, what he's like, and what that standard actually is. If you can't define the standard, your Christ, if you want to say it that way, may be here. Your Christ may be here. Your Christ may be here. And then we say, let's unify and run. And we're like, you know. I mean, we mustn't understand exactly who Christ is. And the only way any of us will ever know anything about him and who he is without, in, in truth is through his word, right? You and I aren't the, uh, given the, the capability or even the authority to define Christ on our own. We have to submit to what he says he is, and then we have to retrain our minds to understand what he is and who he is and how he, uh, 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 what his character is, and then that's what we run towards. But that comes through, again, the preaching of the Word of God. We have a centrality of the understanding of who Christ is so that we're all running towards the same maturity, and the maturity is that completion in him. In Hebrews 6.1, it talks about us pressing on towards maturity. In Colossians 1.28, that we proclaim Christ, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. That's awesome, right? Now again, Paul would have told you, yes, that's all the Spirit's work. But all of those things that he said there were, were defined by we, by men, by the church, right? We admonish others. We teach others. So that we can present others complete, Christ-like. And Paul would be the first one to tell you, man, I can do none of that on my own. That is all God's work. But that is the function of the church, to admonish, to teach, and to present everyone complete. I mean, that's what, again, that, the whole marriage analogy in Ephesians 5, right? Like Christ does the church, husbands, love your wife, laying down your life for her to, to sanctify her, and, and so you can present her basically back to her father, complete and lacking in nothing. I mean, that is the function. That's what Christ does for his church, and that's what the church is called to do as the body of Christ. Christ-likeness is the full maturity. That's what he's talking about here when he says uh, the, uh, the maturity which belongs to the fullness of Christ, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This just means until we all look just like him. And all of you know that's not going to happen this side of heaven, right? But we keep running. Everything that's not like him must go. The, I think this way, that's got to go. These words come out of my lips, that's got to go. And then we replace that with what he would say, what he would think. And we keep running towards him. Um, uh, there's a bunch of verses in the Bible that talk about God perfecting us. Um, you know, he, he calls us in Matthew 5 to be perfect as our Father is perfect. In Philippians 1.6, Paul says he's confident that he who began the good work in you, God, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So God does perfect his children. That's his business. That's what he does. He doesn't exaggerate. He doesn't lie. He's always faithful, right? So everyone that's born of God will be being perfected in him. It will be coming more and more Christ-like. But then the, the call for us is the body is to do that. You live it as I perfect you, and then you exemplify me to others so that your uh, faithfulness and your words will perfect them. But again, he's doing all of that work. I mean, the way that just plays out practically is, um, you know, I just think of like, you know, when I came to this church, I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I loved him, and I wanted to become more like him. But then I began to see men in this church that lived it, Right. I mean, that, that the way that they talked to their wives was just different than anything I'd seen. The way that they disciplined their children was just different than anything I'd seen. 
the way that they, they conducted themselves in public and in private when no one looks was different than anything I had seen. And I began to see the discrepancies in my own life. That's not what I'm like. That's not how I speak. That's not how I think when nobody's looking. And, and I began to strive to want to be like that. I didn't want to be that man. I wanted to be like Christ in the way that that man was like Christ. You know, This guy is so bold. I want to be like that. This guy is so patient. I want to be like that. This guy is so discerning. I want to be like that. You know? And you see Christ being worked out in his body through the, 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 the lives of these people. And you begin to stop all these things that are keeping you from living that way. And you begin to strive after that. And you begin to go, and go to those men and say, what are you doing? They all, I'll tell you, the first thing every godly man tells me is, uh, I'm an idiot. I can't do anything. You know? and you're, but then they'll say, you know, they basically got there through a thousand failures. You know, of, you know, the, the way that you get to purity is, is fighting through impurity, right? The way you get to patience is fighting through your impatience. I mean, that's just the way that, that we're uh, transformed and sanctified. So we preach the truth of Christ to produce maturity in the faith in our youth. That's one of our desires, is maturity. We want them to be distinct and different from any of their peers, not so that we can ha- be boast in Faith Community Church, but so that they can be the body of Christ wherever they go. That's the, the goal and the hope. Number four, to protect with discernment. This is huge. This is huge. Now, a lot of our kids are homeschooled, so Lord willing, at home, they're getting the same guidance and protection in one sense, but, but some of them are in public school, and all of them are going to go to college, or the majority of them, and uh, we want them to, to be discerning, wise. When they walk out the door and they hear a thousand other truths and a thousand other things that would, would fight against all that we've taught in the youth group. In verse 14, he says, as a result of this maturity, uh, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. scheming. Um, so that, uh, as a result there, that's a, the henna clause which just marks the purpose or the result. And the, the, the purpose and the result of the maturity of the, the teaching of the Word of God, of all the things we've talked about, is discernment. To gain discernment, to have clear judgment, to be able to sense and to see and to, to distinguish accurately, to recognize differences uh, and to have the ability uh, to, to, to basically discriminate between right and wrong. I mean, a lot of these words in our culture are just like horrible words. If you're like, I mean, if you told somebody, I am striving to be able to discriminate exactly, you know, they'd be like, what? <laughs> you know, I'm striving to judge accurately. It's like, no, no, no. You know, in our culture, we're told to have no discernment, no judgment, no standard whatsoever. Just accept all things as truth and all things as good, you know? Except for rapists, you know, until that's legal, right? And except for murder, until that's legal. You know, so it's, it's just, you know, we, we just, it, there's no standard other than the, the, the worst and most heinous things. But even the worst and most heinous things are becoming more and more or less and less heinous. We murder children every day as if it's nothing. And that's okay because that's abortion and that's not a real baby. But you can't murder a seven-year-old kid. That's different. You know, why? I mean, but again, so we want them to have discernment. And discernment can only be found through truth and tr- through practice. Discernment is uh, most cultivated during trials, troubles, temptations. I tell the kids this all the time. The things that we always pray away, God, take away this trial. God, take away this trouble. God, take away this temptation in my life. God, take away this, this pain. God, take away this suffering. Now, the Lord wants those things to be taken away. I mean, start there. That's why Christ is coming back. That's why he died. Sin will be gone, and all those things will never again be known to his children. 
Yet at the same time, in this sinful world, he takes those things that Satan throws at us through sin to destroy us, and he flips them on their head for his children. And he uses those very trials, temptations, troubles, persecutions, pains, sufferings to drive his children quickly to him in Christ's likeness. And you may know this in your own life. Like I said, I mean, the way that you get to patience, uh, uh, love, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the fruits of the Spirit, uh, joy and, and peace, and any, any of those Christ-like characters is through fighting the opposite of that, right? Uh, and it's the same thing in, in times of trial. We cling to Him in prayer. We know He's in control. And then when things get good, we forget about Him, you know? And He knows that. And so He uses those things in our life. Discernment uh, provides protection from the deception. And so He leaves these things in our lives for us to know this. Um, I, I always talk to the kids about Hebrews 5.14. He talks about, he's talking to Christians and he's like, he, he's, he's telling them, you know, you should be like, you should be teachers by now, but you're still little babies. And then he tells them why they're little babies in the faith still. He says, you're not accustomed to the word of righteousness. They're not used to it. They're not open in their Bibles. They're not practicing the things of the word. So they're not used to the word of God. And so they have to keep clinging to the elementary principles of the faith. Jesus died for your sins. It's okay. He'll take care of you. Now let go and let God. You know, all these like kind of like little pithy sayings that, that we hold on to, not that those are bad things. I mean, the gospel, we will never outgrow the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet at the same time, for those who are mature, you, you learn more and more and more and more and more of the character of God, and you practice more and more. But he said, you're not accustomed to the word of righteousness because you're an infant. But he says, but solid food's for the mature. And here's what maturity looks like. Because of practice, they have their senses trained to discern good and evil. It's the babies of the faith that are they're carried around by every wave of doctrine. This book comes out, and you're like, that sounds great. And this book comes out, and you're like, ooh. And you know, this teacher on the radio says this, and you're like, okay. And this teacher says this, and you're like, nice. You know, and you just kind of just carry it around. You know? Everything that says, you know, it's like Hillary Clinton prayed and said the name Jesus. Ah, that's cool. You know? And then so did Donald Trump. Okay, cool. You know? And I mean, it's just you're just carried about. And you get on your Facebook, and you're like, this is nice. You know? I mean, this, that's what we do. I, show, I think that shows a lack of maturity. But maturity in the faith is able to discern rightly, to discriminate. Yeah, they said Jesus, but look at their life. No, this is what Christ looks like. You know what I mean? You, you discern rightly. Um, so he says, no longer children. It's just describing somebody that it implies foolishness, inexperience, ignorance, a lack of training. It describes kids and adults who have an immature understanding of his word. And here's describing somebody that's gullible, someone who lacks understanding, lacks perception, and they're easily confused and influenced by others. Now, again, not, not everybody is, is sent by Satan to confuse you and to distort and to distract, but you've got to be able to discern who is and who isn't. I mean, you know, Satan disguised himself an angel of light. All false teachers come up from within the church. Go read the New Testament. It, it's immaturity to think that the bad guys are going to come from the outside. It's like, it's the Muslims and the terrorists and the, and the, the, the gay community. You know, it's like, that, those aren't our, our enemies. The false teachers, the wolves, they come up from the inside. They're the ones that are standing in front of the pulpits. They're the ones that are leading your children. They're the ones that want to teach. That's where the false teachers come from. It's not to say that everybody that is in those positions are false teachers, but the discerning are looking at those places. Where's the enemy going to come? What's well, going to come from you know, the group of elders maybe at the church? It's going to come from the, the, the youth minister at the church. It's going to come from the, the leaders, the ones that want to teach. Does that make sense? That's where the discerning are looking. And again, it doesn't mean you've got to be like... Uh, uh, um, what I'm thinking, you don't have to like always be trying to find bad guys, but you'll just start, start hearing snippets and the discerning no, that's where, it, and again, like that's what Paul got Timothy ready for. 
Timothy when he was building the church in Ephesus. He's like, I mean, Hymenaeus and Alexander were two elders that already had begun teaching heresy. Uh, you got uh, in Third John, what's his name? Um, Diotrephes, right? Diotrephes wanted, he loved when people loved him. And he wanted people to love him. And his love of himself and his love of power and prestige became so big that he began to tell people not to listen to John and not to listen to the apostles and only to follow him. It comes from those. Does that make sense? So you've got to be discerning. I mean, you know, if you can walk through Family Christian Bookstore and be like, well, that's not what I believe. That's good. That, there's some discernment in that. But you've got to be able to listen to pastors on the radio that are reformed in their doctrine and go, that's funny, you know. He said that, but then, you know, you know, he treats his wife like this, you know, and just and you, start, you start discerning those things. Um, discernment begins with a fear and a trust of God alone and an awareness that anything that works against his truth and authority is not only false, but devised to seduce. It's idolatrous and it's evil. You've got you to think like that. That, that, that you must submit to the truth and the authority of his word. And if you begin to see people to be like, well, that's not that important. You go, whoa, 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 red lights. You know what I mean? Now, now look into it. We can't be quick to judge at all things. But, but, but when somebody tells you, well, you know, I know God says this, but. I mean, that, that right there, that's, that's good discernment. I know what God says, but, you know. Well, but in this situation, you know, or yeah, 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 we got to be kind. But this person, you know, and immediately those should be like just like red lights for any discerning believer. There is no but for us. I know God says to lay down my life for others. And this guy did this thing for me. So that, or to me, which is awful. So, I mean, of all people, this is the first and foremost person I must lay down my life for. And that's going to be hardest, which is going to show me my own sinfulness. Um, We have to replace, I'm sorry, in our culture, we have replaced conviction and judgment and wisdom and discernment with the acceptance of anything uh, that that is... uh, um, uh, that people say is true, relative truth based on no source and no ability to distinguish right from wrong. The Christian has to completely disregard the culture and must discern and discriminate and judge rightly, which comes from a submission to his word and a practice of that truth, right? Being accustomed to it so you're able to discern right from wrong. If you go look at some, and we're not going to do it right now, but the trickery of men, craftiness, deceitful scheme, if you go look at what that means, it's always strategic, methodical, uh, false teaching that is purposed to pull you away from pure truth. That's just that's kind of the, the the point of it. There's nothing out there that preaches truth that's not of the Word of God. That's innocent. You know, it's not like we all innocently believe in different religions. There's one truth, and all else is false. False and meant to keep you from the one truth. Um, finally, or the, the next point to perfect his people is for growth. In verse 15, he says, "We speak the truth in love, and we're to grow up in all aspects into Him who is uh, the head, even Christ." Um, again, it comes back down to the Word of God, speaking the truth. That means communicating His truth, communicating the reality and the real state of, of what things are. John seventeen seventeen, Jesus is praying to His Father, says, Sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. That's truth. That's what sanctifies us. We must be submissive to His Word. In Ephesians five twenty six, talking about, again, uh, Christ and the church, He says uh, that He might sanctify her, Christ might sanctify the church, having cleansed her, the church, by the washing of water with the Word. Uh, the 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 um, you know the the analogy is for marriage, but but the 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 purpose is there showing Christ sanctifying His church through the washing of water with the Word of God. That's how our Shepherd sanctifies us. That's how our Father sanctifies us through the Word of God. So we grow in Christ likeness. 
uh, because of the spirit he's given us, because of the gifts that he's bestowed upon his church as we faithfully use them, as we faithfully walk according to him, we all grow in maturity and discernment in Christ's likeness. We're all striving to be imitators of God, as Ephesians 5 says. And we do this for the perfecting of his people. And that's, again, what we're trying to do in the youth group, to perfect those in there that are children of God. And finally, we want to preserve the unity of his body. And this is from verse 16. He says, From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So the whole reason we get together as the youth is the same reason we get together here on Sunday mornings. So the whole body of Christ, the church, those who are born of him and have the spirit of God uh, and have been purposefully crafted together with precision by God and held together by God, uh, are grown up together with him and built up in love together. I mean, even, even this right here and what's happening in the other Sunday school classes and, and then what happens in the, the children's Sunday school classes and after that what happens in, in uh, church is all for that purpose. They were all built up more and more in the unity of faith and were built up in love and in truth so that we become more and more like Christ. He says, according to the proper working of each individual part. Again, we already talked about that, that Christ precisely gifts each individual person in the church uh, to perform the work of the whole body of the church. And, and, uh, and, and as we sanctify one another and as he sanctifies us through his truth, each little piece functions more properly, right? There are things in you and things in me that are not proper and functioning properly right now. And those are the things that he tweaks as he convicts and as we repent and as we strive after him. And it's like he just keeps greasing us and changing us and just, just whittling off all the sin until, man, that, that piece is perfect. And it looks just like him. And he'll keep doing that until we see him and he finishes uh, the, 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 the product, if you want to say it that way. So the builder, Jesus Christ, God, has precisely measured and given us everything we need. And then it's our job as the part to always repent and obey. That's it. That's what it boils down to. When you see anything in your life that doesn't measure up to the standard of Jesus Christ, there's repentance and then obedience, right? On his end, there's, there's forgiveness and then there's sanctification. But we, we repent. And I, I was telling the kids this too. You repent not only for your own sake, but for the sake of others. We, we don't think about this. But we, we think our sin's personal. I mean, that, that's one of the biggest lies of Satan, that your sin is personal. And this is just about you. It's just about you being sanctified. Your lack of obedience affects not only me, but all the rest of the body. And also, your repentance and obedience affects all of the body. I mean, just think of a, a little snippet here. Now, I, we don't understand the depth of that. That becomes one of those mind-blowing things that's beyond what we can even understand. But just think about this. When I'm walking in sin, I'm definitely not praying for you guys, right? And when I'm not praying for you guys, I'm not being faithful to do what God's called me to do. And I'm not, I'm not you know, uh, doing the thing that God has said to do for you guys. So even in that little bit, I mean, there's, there's so much more. I'm also not calling to make sure that, you know, I'm not taking care of my wife when I'm in my own sin. I'm not uh, discipling and, and uh, disciplining and instructing my children when I'm in my own sin. I mean, you can't walk in, in, in sin and in faithfulness to God. So just, just kind of by definition, when you are in your sin, you are automatically hindering the church of Christ, right? You are automatically not performing the function that you are precisely gifted for and, and inserted into the body to do. And at the same time, when you are faithfully obeying him, his body is functioning properly and doing the work that, that he's going to have it do. In other words, as a whole, the body is saving and sanctifying others more effectively. Now, again, God will be faithful whether or not we're faithful. 
And even through our unfaithfulness, he's still faithful and will call all of his children to himself. But when we are faithful, he rewards us for our faithfulness and he loves us uh, and, 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 and it brings him joy. But we can't think that our sin is personal. There is no personal sin. Zero. What happens in your mind that no one sees affects the whole body. And if we start thinking like that, we'll understand the, 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 the heinousness of our sin. So we do this. We preach. We teach we one another. We do all these things and we cause the growth of the body, the faithfulness, the obedience, the submission, the repentance, and, that, and the building up of itself in love. This is the growth. This is the, the faithfulness, the exhorting, the encouraging that always must be done in love. And that, again, is, is the function of the youth group and the church. So this is why we have youth group. This is what we're striving to do in youth group. It's the same purpose as the church because we're part of the church. And we must retrain our minds to recognize that in the youth group so that we see our, our purpose, to edify, to encourage, to exhort and equip the saints and to evangelize the lost. This is the will of God. This is what brings glory to God. And we strive to do that through the teaching, uh, through the games. I mean, we even, we, we'll, we'll mention to the kids time and time again that when you're out there on the field playing football or playing flag tag or whatever you're doing, you, you look out for those who are weaker you, your goal is not to win, but your goal is to edify one another. You, 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 you're not out there to, to show off your athletic ability, but if you are better equipped athletically to play these sports, then use your better equipping to help others to, to win or to enjoy it. Or to, you know, and, and, and so we're always just trying to teach them everything. Everything is, is purposeful for Christ-likeness. In the small groups, you're talking about it, and you're talking about sin, you're striving to know what to do and, and how to live. You know, in the teaching, that's centered on the Word of God. The music is centered on the Word of God. Uh, the, the prayer, even the things that we pray, is centered on the, even the things we've talked about. We, just, we strive for that. We're not, I'm not saying we nail it every time. I'm not saying everything we do is perfect. I mean, yeah, there's all of our sin mixed into all of that, but that's the goal of our youth ministry which should be the goal of the church as a whole and the goal of our lives as part of the church. But we want these, these children to be edified. And if any of them are sitting there and don't know him, we want them to hear his truth and to be evangelized. I can't remember, I remember telling the kids, I, I, I want to make sure that, that we preach the word of God in the youth group so much and so well that either one, they're, they're all saved or they, they, hate, they hate me and they hate the youth group, and they, and, they, and they run, but at least they know they, they hate it because we preach Christ. I don't want any of them in there to be able to walk through it and to come out on the other end and be like, that was fun, and just keep going on in life. You know what I mean? Now, again, that has to be done in love. I'm not saying, you know, we should, like pounding Bibles, you know, but, but that's the point. Thank you, guys. It's good being with you. <laughs>